KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 103.9 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. It's National Black Business Month. We sit down with the president of the African-American Chamber of Commerce to find out more. Black businesses, they need their own voice and they need their own representation and they need supports that are different from other businesses. And as we recognize Black-owned businesses, we check in with one that's really taking off in the Philadelphia area. If you haven't tried a bottle of Dillonade, you might want to. Sherrod A. Howard has our Newsmaker of the Week. There has never been a time that has been more important than this time for women and girls. Antoinette Lee highlights our Philly Rising Changemaker, and it's all coming up on Bridging Philly. Welcome to Bridging Philly. It is National Black Business Month. Black business owners make up 10% of businesses in the U.S. and about 30% of all minority-owned businesses. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, that's about 2 million companies. And here in Philadelphia, from what I understand, and we may get updated numbers, there are over 130 black and brown-owned businesses here in our area, and it is growing. With us today is Regina Hairston. She is president and chief executive officer of the Regional African American Chamber of Commerce, their office based here in Philadelphia, and it covers New Jersey and Delaware. Welcome to the program, Regina. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be joining you today and talk about National Black Business Month. Yes, absolutely. So tell me about why the African-American Chamber of Commerce was formed. And is this extension an extension of the Chamber of Commerce? Certainly. So I will start with the latter. We are not an extension of the Chamber of Commerce. The African-American Chamber of Commerce specifically focuses on the needs and the nuances of Black-owned businesses and Black business owners. While we do work in collaboration with the Chamber of Commerce, our businesses have different challenges and need different advocacy that they may, may not get at a larger chamber. We were formed 30 years ago as a response to African-Americans not receiving contracts from the city of Philadelphia. There was a lawsuit. And what the, the founders found back then is that Black businesses, they need their own voice and they need their own representation and they need supports that are different from other businesses. So there are obviously more support systems and and more in place to support Black businesses than the traditional chamber. Absolutely. So I did state that about 10 percent of all American businesses are Black owned. So my first question, I guess, would be, why is it so few? When you think about historically why Black owners have not scaled or started new businesses or other folks, it's all it all starts with access to capital, right? So the barrier for Black businesses to enter the market or to stay in the market and scale is about having access to capital. And when we think about capital, it's not getting a loan. Anybody can get a loan anywhere at any time, but it's how much is that loan going to cost you? And it's about diversifying your portfolio 
of finances where you don't just have debt capital. When we look at the amount of money that Black owners receive um, that they request from banks, it's significantly lower than their peers. Um, when we think about venture capital and having access to that, it's significantly different from their peers as to entering into those type of opportunities and resources. Okay, so this is multifaceted. It's not just about getting bank loans, but it's also about those other support systems. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, African-Americans and home loans and how they're denied, um, um, you know, loans more as at a more disproportionate rate than other people. I was wondering if that's the same situation when it comes to business loans in the African-American community. Absolutely. Um, when you think about the homeowners and we think about some of the redlining that we've seen even lately today, that also falls down into business loans, commercial loans, and it also plays a part as to how we we gain equity. So as a homeowner, you're able to gain equity in your home based on the valuation of that, right? So if someone comes in and appraises your home and says it's worth X amount of dollars, you're able to gain equity. Well, what we found in the Black community that we do not get the same appraisals that a white homeowner would get in the very same neighborhood um, or non-Black neighborhoods that we see Black owners uh, receiving. And the same thing happens with commercialization of of property. Um, If you're in a certain zip code, you get evaluated an appraisal lower than your peer businesses. So what is it going to take to increase the number of Black-owned businesses, not only just here in Philadelphia, but uh, across the country overall? So there are quite a few things that we can do. Number one, we can support the Black businesses that do exist now. That means going online, giving a Google or Yelp review, helping to raise their visibility. It means being intentional with our spending as a community. It means procurement um, policies that look at the dollars and the contracts of public dollars and how we are awarding those contracts and making sure that Black businesses are receiving those contracts. It's about changing the practices. So If you're doing business with the government and they pay uh, 45 days after, and that's just that's a short number for for the government, but it's about changing the policy so they receive their payment 30 days after zero net pay, um, doing the things that are possible because this applies to all small businesses. This doesn't just apply to black businesses, but when you're in a position where you do not have access to capital at the same rate, this disproportionately impacts black business. How much do Black-owned businesses contribute to the nation's economy overall? Black businesses contribute to the economy because they help to build neighborhoods and they also, they are, they're job creators. So Black businesses employ roughly around five to 10 employees. So yeah, that certainly does uh, generate lots of uh, employment opportunities in various communities. So I can see that. Now, you know, of course, there are Black-owned salons, auto repair shops, restaurants, and the like. Talk about some of the sectors of the economy where Black businesses are really thriving. Certainly. So in our professional service industries, right, because the barrier to entry is less. Um, If you do business to business, it's easier to get into businesses. So we see some of our 
um, our consultant firms doing amazing work in growing and scaling, especially in the region. Um, when we look at a woman-owned businesses, uh, business like MFR that's in the IT business and consultant businesses, um, she is growing and her business is scaling. And especially um, after COVID, and the help that businesses need, they turn to other professionals in order to help them move forward. So when it comes to building wealth, do African-Americans, would you say, have the same opportunities as their white counterparts? Uh, absolutely not. And so when you think about the wealth gap, there's a 288-year wealth gap between Black households and white households. So if you look at that in terms of numbers, we have a long way to go in order to become, uh, to have parity with our counterparts. And there are plenty of opportunities that have been given by the government in order to help white families build wealth. And Black people have not had the same access to those opportunities. When we look at some of the lending that comes out of the government or funding, um, Black, Black businesses have not historically been connected to that funded. And that's why the African-American Chamber of Commerce, we're making sure that our businesses understand the resources that are available. So they are connected to the information. So they have access to opportunities that are available to everyone. Mm. Starting a business for anyone in general can be intimidating. I, you know, I know the numbers are pretty staggering as far as the amount of businesses that fail within that first year of starting. That's for anyone, uh, any background. What are some of the resources, you mentioned that there are some available, that people can use uh, if they're interested in starting a business so they can uh, get a good start? Absolutely. The first thing that I would suggest is you join your chamber, your local chamber, and for whatever city that you're in, you should go to your Commerce Department website. There are a whole host of resources that are available to you and to the state website as well. How to start the business, how to get your your tax ID number, how to have your LLC. And then you want to make sure that you start a banking relationship, not just open a checking account, but to have an actual relationship with the bank that you're doing business with. You mentioned LLC. I, I wanted to always ask this question. What's the importance of establishing an LLC when you're starting a business? Now, I'm not an attorney, so I do not want to get into sure. an area. This is what we have attorneys for. And that's another thing. Make sure that you get the right professionals in order to make sure you start off right, because it's not always an LLC. Mm -hmm. That's just one I just threw out there. You should talk to an accountant and you should talk to an attorney to make sure you're incorporating the proper way. Because if you don't do that, you'll limit your growth based on which option you chose, whether you're LLC or S-Corp. So it's very important to make sure that you're talking to the right professionals. Right. I can see how guidance is really needed and definitely have to do homework uh, before venturing into something like this. Completely understand. So what would you say are some of the unique challenges um, that face uh, Black business owners today? Exactly. Number one, access to capital. Number two, access to capital. Number three, access to capital. And after we pass access to capital, mm -hmm. it's access to opportunity and information. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, Black business owners will roll up their sleeves and say, I'm just going to work hard and do it myself, and I'm not going to ask for any help. Black businesses do not have to work in silos. We at the African-American Chamber of Commerce, we are here to help them. That is what we do, whether you're a member or not. We curate resources for our business owners 
others because we know that they don't have time to curate that for themselves. And too often it's about not knowing what is available that keeps many of our Black owners um, from accessing the information and the opportunities that they need. Yeah, and I, I understand that letting people know about your business, promoting your business to help get it off the ground, that can sometimes be challenging. But, you know, in speaking in, uh, you know, with other business owners, they they find that the internet is just a saving grace. Like that's where they do a lot of their promotions, which I guess is a good start too. Absolutely. Would you say Philadelphia is business friendly uh, for African-Americans who want to start businesses here? And also, what would you say makes a city, quote unquote, business friendly? Yeah, I would say that's a very nuanced question. Um, For a city to be business friendly, you would hope that there are tax policies in place that make it affordable to do business in a city. Um, When we look at the nation's taxes, uh, the corporate tax in New Jersey at 11.5.9%, I think it is, is the highest in the nation. uh, Pennsylvania comes in second with a 9.99% corporate tax that was just reduced down to 8%. When we look at Philadelphia specifically, Philadelphia is the only city that double taxes its businesses with the business income tax receipt. Through advocacy, through the business community, that was able to get reduced recently. But that's a reduction that the city hadn't seen over 10 years. That's money that businesses can invest in back into their business. That's money that they can hire more people. When we think about the ease of doing business, that's number two. Um, There was an article in the Citizens maybe six months ago. It said it took 54 steps to start a restaurant in Philadelphia. That is absolutely daunting. So having a one-stop shop in order to do business, whether it be L&I, whether it be getting your um, occupancy license, whatever it is, a business owner should be able to go online and do that in less than 54 steps. Right, right. Yeah, that's a a lot of steps. I want to talk to you about something that... uh, a lot of people in in my circles kind of talk about, and some of them are business owners and are African American. There's this perception that that price point for uh, black owned businesses tends to be a little bit higher than others. Would you say that's true? And if that's true, what why is that the case? So I think it's the it's a perception, but there's a reason for that. All small businesses it costs more to do business with any small business. They have less employees and they have less capacity. So the prices tend to be higher. Uh, They have smaller margins. So they do not have the ability to make the type of deals or discounts that larger businesses have. Um, If you go to Walmart, Walmart is the biggest employer in this country. If you're the biggest employer in this country, you have a bigger uh, margin and you can discount and deeply discount items because you were overpricing them in the first place. Um, But when you look at a small business, the margins are small. So there's just not that type of room to negotiate the price as larger businesses. And when you have Black businesses who um, their debt costs more than competitors, then they are definitely unable to have that type of uh, margin to make those discounts. Thank you so much for straightening that out. That has always been a question, and that makes so much sense. Uh, I, I appreciate your explanation uh, to that question. Um, so you talked about the importance of um, supporting Black-owned businesses. 
What exactly does that look like? You were talking about going on Yelp or maybe Google and, and doing a review. I know it doesn't mean, you know, telling your friend you need a discount or a hookup and things of that nature. What does it really mean to support a Black-owned business? Certainly. So the, one of the things that we've done at the African-American Chamber of Commerce, we started Invest in Black Philly. And what we're doing with Invest in Black Philly is changing the behaviors of the Black community first. If you're spending money on discretionary items anyway, uh, whether that be getting your hair done or getting um, your house clean, getting your car repaired, spend that money with a Black business. Be intentional about it. Go on our social media platforms, Invest in Black Philly, uh, highlight the business that you support, post the pictures, hashtag it, so we can find those Black businesses and we can start building support around them. And again, if you could, Regina, talk about the advantages of being a member of the African-American Chamber of Commerce, especially if you're you're a business owner here in the region, a black business owner. The African-American Chamber of Commerce advocates for you. We are at the, the head of the table when it comes to making sure that policies that are good for black businesses are implemented and policies that are not never see the light of day. So if you want someone that's going to advocate for you, join the African-American Chamber of Commerce. If you want a community that's building support around you, that's curating information and programming that will allow you to scale your business, then the African-American Chamber of Commerce is the place for you. If you want a community that is going to create a networking environment for you so that you are talking to the decision makers, whether it be the head of PICO about procurement or whether it be the University of Penn, you want to be in the room with the African-American Chamber of Commerce. And how can people find you and get more information if they'd like to get involved or join? Certainly. So they can go to our website at aachamber.com. Regina Harrison, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Regional African-American Chamber of Commerce. Thank you so much for your time here on Bridging Philly. As we recognize National Black Business Month, we wanted to highlight a Black-owned business in Philadelphia that has really taken off, and it's a mother and son venture. Tiffany Green and her son, Dylan Gamble, head up Dylan Aids. It's exactly what you think it is. Fresh-squeezed, fruit-infused lemonades, and it can be found in major grocery chains. They have a wonderful story, and they are here with us to share it. Welcome, Tiffany and Dylan. Thank you. Hello. Hi. All right. So tell us all about how Dillonades got started. The actual Dillonades is kind of like a, a, a branch off of an original company called Fruity Girl <laughs> Lemonades and Ices. And that was a business that I started over 10 years ago, probably about 15 years ago. It was a hustle on weekends. Um, and I called it Fruity Girl. And I would make iced teas, lemonades, and cupcakes and go to different hair salons and barbershops every Friday and Saturday. And I did that for many, many, many years. And uh, I stopped. Uh, I stopped about five years ago um, and I started getting into construction. Mm-hmm. I became a general contractor. And then right before the pandemic, Dylan was like, Mom, we should do the lemonade again. I was like, mm, I guess we should because so many people was asking about it. And I was like, well, if I do it this time, you definitely won't have to work with me. And then also I want to do it as an actual business and not as a hustle anymore. So this time when, we, when I came back and we decided to do it, I was like, we're going to change the name. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Dylan is a part of it. We want to add the Dylan and the lemonade. And then we got Dylan Aids. And I changed everything, the packaging. Um, I designed the logo. Um, I got my barcodes, all my, everything I needed to package the pro- product properly is what I've done. 
And um, I pushed it and we started doing like home deliveries. And then after that, we did pop ups mm-hmm. and after pop up, we did some vending. Then after vending, we went into the stores and that's where we are today in supermarkets. So you must have learned some lessons and some uh, some things that you could apply to this venture after you started out with Fruity Girl. Why did you stop that venture five years ago? You know, what was interesting about that is that I didn't see it as an actual business. It was just a hustle that I was doing every weekend. And it became too much because I was literally making a lemonade, you know, driving around different places, mm-hmm. carrying heavy sodas up and down steps. Um, it was too much. And I got burnt out with it. And I didn't really see the love in it, even though at times I thought about it becoming a company. But then I would just put it to the side and be like, no, I'm going to just focus on my acting because that's what I was doing at that time. And I just decided to, to do it again. Venturing out, of course, to start a new business can be stressful. Um, People say that all the time. Talk about the journey and some of the challenges that you faced when you restarted and started up Dylan Aids. You know what's interesting? I think it was more of a challenge back then when I was hustling it Mm. as opposed to actually doing it as a business. I think now I'm doing it as a business and I have so much knowledge and wisdom and experience on how to run a business because I've had so many different business ventures, but I'm way more wiser than I was before. So the challenges and stuff that I'm facing now are more so about the pressure and stuff that's coming all in at one time. So -hmm. sometimes it could be overwhelming, you know, being an entrepreneur and just being responsible, you know, for a company that's actually growing and is growing at such a fast pace. Those are like the challenges that I had being up at night, you know, so three, four, five in the morning, or sometimes waking up out of my sleep, thinking about things that got to get done or, you know, stuff that I um, need to move forward with or things that I feel like, okay, did I get this done or what's next and all of those things. But from what I'm learning, it's kind of like what a lot of entrepreneurs go through when they have businesses, especially businesses that are successful are those restless nights those days of question, like, okay, do I really want to do this? There's so much on me because I do have those days. Right, <laughs> and then right. I wake up, I just get it done because it is overwhelming. It's like taking a hustle and actually turning it into a business. And a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now, I'm, I've learned on my own. So there wasn't no blueprint that can, I can go to to say, hey, don't do this or you should do that. I'm pretty much learning as I go along. So sometimes that part can be overwhelming. But then when I see the responses from my customers and then I see all the support that I get and then stores like ShopRite and, you know, Fresh Grocer, that uh, wake firm company taking a chance on me on a new product, you know, and I'm not no big manufacturing company. It means a lot. It lets me know that I'm moving in the right direction. And then even with my smaller stores that um, supported me, like Marinucci's and Ricci's and the Whiz Cafe, all these are smaller stores who took an interest to it. Like, okay, let's get your product in here. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's just, been, it's been going. So those are, those are the good things that keep me going on the bad days. Because <laughs> the bad days, they come. They yeah. want to come. Yeah. yeah they- you know, when those bad days come and those sleepless nights come and you question, why am I doing this? Why did I start this on those days that are really heavy? Uh, we all need support. So who is your support system? You must have a great support system to continue. I have a team of people that I call for different things. I have business support from one person. I have emotional support from another person. And then, you know, um, my friends, they support me in other areas. So, yes, depending on what I'm going through, that's kind of like who I I reach out to. And most of the time when I'm having anything in reference to like stress of being an entrepreneur, I call my other friends that have businesses because they understand. Great. Great. So you can support each other. Absolutely. Now, getting the word out about a new product is always challenging. Tell me how you went about promoting Dylan Aids. You know, social media is just like 
king when it comes to promoting a product. So when we first came back out, I sent my product to Master P. And Master P takes rap, my product. The Master P, we're talking about the rapper yeah. Master P. Okay. So I sent it to him. He put it on his platform. And literally overnight, he had scaled our business. And that's when we started shipping like all over the USA. Then he wow. invited us to home and he promoted it again. So he actually, with his influence, put us on a, on a, on a map. Because people knew about it locally, but a lot of people didn't know about it in other areas. Wow. So it's just a lot. So then, you know, word of mouth and other people talk about it. And then we see you on Master P, Master P promoting your stuff. That helped us a lot. And then from there, we had um, some influence from one of the news stations. She saw the Master P um, mm-hmm. promoting the product and she called us on her, her um, well, not called us, she Zoomed us in because this was on the pandemic during that time. Right. And then that helped. And it's just been going, but more so word of mouth. A wow. lot of word of mouth and okay. vending because we do a lot of vending, like with the flower show. We usually vend downtown at Dilworth Park. So all those little small things that don't seem like they're major are actually major parts of the puzzle that puts your business out there because right. it's been helping us a lot. This year, we had a ton of media coverage. Yeah, it was unexpected. It just like came and it's been like a wave. We've been riding this wave and it's been really good because a lot of people, they watch, they listen and, um, and they support us. Great. Certainly a blessing. Did you have a tie to Master P? What made you send it to him specifically? Well, he had a program at that time, which was called Master P Reviews, where he was promoting okay. um, businesses. And I think we were the, I think we were the first one on the show. Wow. Yeah, our at time. And um, we sent it to him and he liked it. Great. That's a great boost. That's awesome. And you know what? I love the branding. Uh, for this lemonade. What went into the concept of having that cool looking lemon with the hat on and the yellow sneakers? It's so adorable. Yeah. So, okay. I designed the logo because I am an artist outside of Dylan Eads. And um, I wanted to, I wanted him to kind of like be a little urban. Mm-hmm. So that's why I put the baseball cap on him. And if you pay attention, if you look at his legs, He's a brown boy. <laughs> 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 Let me eat the brown boy. So Got it. Those details I wanted to kind of like keep because this is an African-American business mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to stick with our roots and somewhat. And those are the details that I put on. I was like, I want to make him a little bit cool. And I definitely want to make sure his legs are brown. And um, yeah, I was like, he happens to have a big smile. <laughs> and I just was in love with And he actually has a name. His name is Tart. Tart. Oh, that's so, adorable. I love that. Tart. <laughs> so cute. Why lemonade? Uh, I meant to ask you. Well, when life threw me lemons, I literally made lemonade. <laughs> like it. I said, that was a hustle years ago. And we were doing iced tea too. But at that time, I was doing a mix. Now I do freshly squeezed lemonade. And I knew that, okay, once I do turn this into a business, I don't want a product that has a ton of ingredients. So mm-hmm. I had to come back around with the recipe and that's what I've done. So I, I played around with the freshly squeezed lemonades, mm-hmm. got all my measurements and stuff, right? And now when you pick up our bottle, it's literally maybe like three or four ingredients, water, sugar, lemons, that's it. And then whatever fruit I add are the additional ingredients. That's great. That's great. Now, th- th- I was going to say that there are a lot of lemonades out there to compete with. And mm-hmm. um, what what's, would you say sell uh, sets Dillonade uh, aside from the rest of the lemonades out there? Our taste and our energy, because when you buy it from us, you're not just buying a lemonade, you're buying into our whole brand, mm-hmm. our energy, our, our aura, <laughs> what we represent as a company. But yeah, definitely the taste, because what you taste is freshness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And most of does not taste fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Got not you. As fresh, not as fresh as the Dillonese. And, you know, our shelf life is about eight days. So 
that lets you know how fresh we are. So that's super fresh. Got that. Okay. Now, also, I wanted to uh, talk to Dylan a little bit uh, about that. But first, I did want to ask you about the flavors. That's right. Because you have different infused fruit flavors in the lemonades. What's the most popular one? Of course, um, would be strawberry because everybody knows strawberry. Okay. So it goes in this order. Strawberry lemonade, berry berry lemonade, tropical lemonade peach lemonade, pineapple, and then original is like at the bottom, which is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk to Dylan of Dylan Aids. Dylan, how old are you? 14. 14. Wow. So you are a young entrepreneur. What's it like being a young entrepreneur with your mom? Uh, it's very, it's very fun. It's very surprising. Like when I first started doing it, I was confused, but now it's kind of fun to do it with my mom. It's not like it's like love. And it's like good vibes and good energy. So yeah, I love doing it. That's great. And how do you feel about the lemonade kind of being named after you? I like it. it has a little ring to it. Doing it, you know. All my friends call it doing it. Everybody, like a lot of people I see at school, they call it doing it. So it's just a little. It's because it gives all good energy. You know, it's funny. I I see Dillonade merchandise in your future. So I'm going to have to get a Dillonade hoodie. I know it's coming <laughs> if you're not already thinking about it because this is really taking off. So that's great. So what is, what are some of the things that your friends say about this business? And of course, I'm sure they, they're drinking it, right? Oh, yeah, they always drink it. So like when like they'll buy a, a Dillonade like or off the website or like at a store, they'll like call me or they'll send me a picture of them holding it up or like send a video of them saying Dillonade and they're like sponsor me, sponsor me, stuff like that. You uh-huh. know, joke all the time. Yeah, this is because I go vibe and stuff. All right, awesome. So I want to ask both you and your mom uh, a question, and you can both answer this. What would both of you, what advice would both of you give to others who are thinking about starting their own business? Do not give up, and there will be days where you doubt yourself, <laughs> um, um, but you have to you have to keep going. And what I also realize is you have to be very consistent with whatever you do. It's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And I hear so many people say like, oh, my God, it blew up so fast. And I'm like, no, I've been doing this for about 15 years, not under this name, but the actual process of making lemonade. I've been doing this for a very long time. So it didn't happen overnight. It's just mm-hmm. that I, I grew it into a business. And um, once you start your business, as you grow, you'll know what you need to take. And you'll know what you need to let go of. And that's just like all part of the process. Right. And you just got to very consistent with it. And you definitely need a support group. And you also need me time. That's something that I, I work on now. Every, I always make sure out of the month, every weekend, I spend some time with myself because I got so consumed with working and growing the business. And that that's what was wearing me out too, because I wasn't taking time for myself. That's mm. so important that you take time for yourself, because if you're not together, the business is not going to be together. Absolutely. Good advice. And Dylan, as a young entrepreneur, if only 14 years old, what advice would you give uh, other young people who would like to jump into entrepreneurship? I would say have fun with it, you know, enjoy it. Don't just do it because like don't do it for like money or do it because he's like you have to if you really want to do it and like it's your goal and like it's really what you love. I would say have fun with it. Enjoy it because, you know, it can bring out good vibes, good energy instead of just being old bored, you know, just doing it for money and stuff. So I would just say have fun with it. Right. Right. Passion is important. Well, Tiffany, where can people find more information about your company, Dylan Aids? Yes, well, they can follow us on social media and we're on every platform Mm -hmm. and also our website, which would be DylanAids.com. You guys can check us out there. And also, like I said, at um, Jeff Brown's ShopRights, we're there. 
Oregon Avenue, Island Avenue, mm-hmm. Fox Street, Parkside, uh, Fresh Burst off of City Avenue. And then we have our smaller retail stores, Matt Renew Cheese, Ray Cheese, The Wiz Cafe, and some other ones. But those are the main stores where we deliver every week. So you can always get some freshly squeezed Dillonade's lemonades every week. Tiffany Green and Dylan Gamble of Dillonade's, thank you so much for, for joining us on Bridging Philly and much success to you both. Thank you for having us. Sharaday Howard brings us this week's newsmaker. Vashtai Dubois, founder of the Colored Girls Museum in Germantown, says she's created a space paying tribute to the ordinary, extraordinary colored girl. And when that space took form, she believes she opened a doorway in the mind, body, and spirit to free all women from all backgrounds. Because she says liberation comes when we are all free. Welcome to Bridging Philly, Vashtai. Now, in this endeavor to hold space for women and girls of color, you say your vehicle, your portal is art and your message is universal. We say, you know, the Colored Girls Museum is not just for colored girls only. It's for anyone who's ready for a conscious revolution. There has never been a time that has been more important than this time for women and girls from every walk of life to really, really, really begin to do the work of being unified in our intention to maintain autonomy over our bodies and our lives. This is not a white woman's problem. This is not a black woman's problem. This is not a yellow woman's problem, a red woman's problem. This is not trans. This is not non-binary. This is everybody. Now is the time to really, really begin to do the work that we all have to do individually in order to move as a collective, because what's getting ready to come for us is coming for everybody. And the only response we should have to that is a unified one. So there will be people who will say, but you're doing the Colored Girls Museum and it's just for colored girls. Everybody has to do the work that they feel called to do to prepare their community for the work ahead. Because you got to do your own work first. You know, I do the Colored Girls Museum, but I am in constant restorative and healing and caretaking work for myself because I can't offer to anybody else what I haven't given to myself. And the same is true of all of our communities. And you say, just do the work. But that also comes with a sense of awareness. And so much of what you do here in this museum is about lifting spirits and opening people's eyes and ears, and sometimes more. Please tell us what's on these walls and what the purpose is within these rooms. All of the wonderful things that are going on at the Colored Girls Museum. So we have two more weeks of the One Room Schoolhouse being open. And then this show comes down. We go into our rehearsal space to bring in our new show, which is going to open uh, the weekend of the 24th. We're so excited because we're now, I, I think our exhibition at the airport, Citispell, has now been open for a month there. So that's super, super exciting. That's a milestone. It's amazing. And what's been really wonderful is that, you know, a couple of folks who work at the airport, because they saw the exhibit, they actually learned about the Colored Girls Museum for the first time. And so they showed up on a tour. So that's fantastic. And the people that work at the airport, that was one of your main focuses, right? Oh, absolutely. It's actually the exhibit 
is more about the people who work there than it is about the people who pass through, right? Because when you're passing through, you may take a photograph, you may stop for a moment, but when you work at the airport, like this is your environment. This is where you are for much of your day. So having an exhibition in the space that actually is speaking to the majority of folks who work in that space, which are Black women, is just, it's sensational. And your exhibit at the airport really spoke to the moment, politically, socially, and personally. Because we all know a lot went down this summer. Yeah, like finding ourselves in the airport, right, which is this portal to all of this, all of these other potential places. Um, but also the invitation, right, to like sit, a spell, like sit with these portraits, sit, right? And we know how powerful the subliminal is. And one of the last things that uh, black women and girls feel entitled to do is to just not do. So yes, after a a season, it's just been unrelenting. what has been happening in the world for everybody, but the impact on uh, Black girls and Black women, I think, has just been profound. Uh, You know, from essential workers, the recognition of ourselves as essential workers, to um, the very real fear about what is happening with respect to autonomy over our own bodies. So, and then, I mean, I don't think we have to talk about, you know, all the disease all the fatigue, all the underemployment, all the unemployment, just all of these things. So to have come out of that just an opportunity to, one, see yourself in a way that we typically don't get to see ourselves, in a place where we typically don't get to see ourselves, feels like a small thing, but something that we can do. And I'm really thrilled that we've been able to do it. It's no small feat to kind of, uh, I felt like it was a call to action, but also a call to sit. Yes. It was this duality that you do so well. A lot of what you do, it speaks to you in several different ways, and it really calls on you to kind of step out of that comfort zone. How does that play into that exhibit and the next exhibit? Well, I've been in a conversation with somebody. There's a phrase in the black community that we're all familiar with, right? And that phrase is, she doesn't look her age, right? And that reads in two directions, right? Sometimes when we're talking about young girls, oh, she looks older. Sometimes we're talking about middle-aged black women. She does not look like she's 60. She does not look like she's 50. Uh, There are always, in our community, there are always dualities. Nothing is just one thing. It's always multiple things. And when I think, so our work at the museum always has to consider that. It's never, you know, the one-room schoolhouse is, a, is, a, is an opportunity to both learn, but also an offering of an escape, right? So this might not be it for you but maybe this is it for you. Um, You know, sitting for a moment to rest Mm -hmm. might not resonate with you, but perhaps a spell of your own might resonate with you. You know, so maybe 
maybe you need the invitation or maybe you need to invoke something and just really always being present to how that is always the case, right? In our communities, it's a hard time, but also the joy that we can find in the ordinary and in the everyday just fills my heart up because I know that people, not everybody in our circumstances could have that, could do that, could appreciate that. And I just think that's one of the wonderful things about being able to do something like the Colored Girls Museum. I think in so many ways, you're this reminder, this space is the reminder, not only that, of course, that we matter, but we're part of the process of learning that we matter. We're such a critical part of this ecosystem. The ecosystem of the city, the ecosystem of the world. We so often don't have a moment to appreciate where it is and what it is that we're doing in this ecosystem. I, so much of our, you know, our work and our contributions are really just taken for granted. Um, and then we take it for granted we, because we're on to the next thing. We've right. got to survive. We've got to keep it up. And who are we to stop and acknowledge ourselves and Ex our work? Exactly. I was just, uh, you know, a tour just left the museum and they were asking me to explain uh, Cityspell, right, and the significance of that. And I said, I truly believe that our history in this country is a history of labor and doing. And I, I feel like, you know, black girls and black women almost don't feel right if we're not constantly doing something. And that a, a counterintuitive move that I think is so, so critical right now for all of us is to not do, is to just be still long enough to have an understanding of what it is that's available if we can be still long enough to hear it and to be in relationship with it. And this constant doing, which is so hard right now because it really does feel like an onslaught. There's just so much going on in the world. And before you can clear one thing, there's another thing and another thing and another thing. I can't think of a better time to say to all of us, sit a spell. Now tell me about the exhibit that's here at the museum in Germantown. But you say it's on its way out. The One Room Schoolhouse is the show that's leaving the museum and it really was inspired by the empty schoolhouses, right? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic, you know, forced everybody home, right? So like our homes became One Room Schoolhouses, right? Um, but also our schoolhouses were actually empty. And so the, you know, that that feeling of loss and grief. And I think about that a great deal. And we were thinking about that with respect to the show, that we created no rituals to grieve what our young people lost. I mean, we didn't do it for anybody, but to not create a space um, for young people to be able to honor the feeling mm -hmm. of what two years, right? Mm -hmm. And while we, we know the schoolhouse can be a really problematic space for black kids, mm -hmm. Um, but it's also, it's respite from home space, which can also be a problematic space. So here in the one room schoolhouse, we really wanted each room to consider differently how it might be a place of learning and it might be a place of escape. But we just wanted to hold young people in the museum, hold what was lost, and hopefully through this show, remind some of the young people as well as the adults that passed through that like this was a profoundly sorrowful year for so many of our babies and and we've not really acknowledged that and i think the impact of that is something that we're going to that we're going to be dealing with for a long time and not even the closing of the schools 
the lack of a ritual around understanding what our children lost. So you're not even saying that we have to fix it. We just have to acknowledge it and have the conversation. Yeah, I mean, we can't fix it, right? But you can acknowledge that it happened. Our energy really has been, let's just keep going and going and going and going, right? And not, you know, and not stopping um, to really feel, you know, what these last two and a half years now has done to all of us. I mean, our young people are the ones that are going to have to grow up and, like, take over. So to move forward without marking this particular moment is really actually kind of scary. Because it's become normalized in such a a frightening way. Yeah. Loss has been normalized. How crazy is that, right? You know, and I mean, we could all grieve. Grief is a part of life. But creating space Mm -hmm. to feel that, to honor that, to address it, to give words to it is so, so, so important to just your overall mental, spiritual, emotional, psychological health. Sometimes that's it's the cure. Sometimes, Sometimes just yeah. looking at it, calling it by name, and then you can move on. Absolutely. I mean, so so often we think of the cure as like some magic, like bullet that's going to make it go away. You know, what gives substance to life is our acknowledgement of the things and the experiences that we and others have. So often I think women of color are asked to kind of step back and be next, 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 but when is it your turn, you know? And I think this particular museum gives girls and girls of color room to breathe, to say it's your turn. Well, I think that, you know, what's significant about the exhibit at the airport, the exhibit here, is that I say constantly, people look at black girls all the time, but they do not see black girlhood. They do not see black girlhood. And black girlhood is complex and profound. It's mood, it's color, it's shape, it's sound, it's dance. It's all, it's all of these things, but then all of these things have to do with our humanity, right? And so to constantly have to wait your turn, right? You know, have to wait until everybody else's needs have been met. Everybody else's stories have been told. Everybody else has received the resources and you get whatever is left over. And quite often, there's nothing left over for you by the time your turn is supposed to come. You don't even have a turn anymore. So I hope that, you know, the Colored Girls Museum is, uh, provokes a deeper discussion. But more importantly, I hope that it inspires the folks who come through here, the ordinary black girls and black women to just go back into their communities, go back into their homes and their schools and create these spaces of sanctuary for themselves. Now going forward into the fall, what is coming? What is coming? What do you got for us? Ah, so the fall is shaping up to be really busy. So right now what's in a pilot phase and we're getting ready to start taping for is our podcast, which is called The Girlfriend Kit, Ask a Colored Girl. So I am super excited about that. DeSaint and Ian are going to be producing it. We're going to be interviewing ordinary colored girls 
from around the country, ordinary colored girls, because we know they got answers to all kinds of things and insights and all kinds of things. And, you know, we think of the podcast as like, what if your best girlfriends with all of their best advice were a kit, right? You were killing me. You're killing me right now. I'm so excited. In your pocket. And so... The girlfriend kit, ask a colored girl, is like, that's going to be your kit, right? This podcast is going to be your go-to kit because your girlfriend's best advice is actually in there for you. So that's coming in the fall. And what's, you know, what's following behind her is Citispell opened for us at the airport, but now she's going to open inside of the museum itself. And so every room in this museum is really going to be structured so that our guests actually come through in show form and actually are able to occupy some of these seats to do what we think is going to be so restorative, which is really to sit a spell, because we feel like we, we want to create space in the museum for us to really consider how we're feeling, what we know, what the information is around all of the things that are actually changing our lives right now. So we're really, these rooms are going to uh, be places of witness and respite. This is in two phases, as our shows typically are. So there's the fall version of Sit a Spell, where the house will actually empty out some so that there's actually room for the sitting to occur. And then the show will come in fully in March. And while all of that is happening in the museum, under the leadership of Sid Carpenter, we are also opening the living room of the Colored Girls Museum because a massive garden project is coming in outside. We really want Citispell to be in the community in such a way that even if you never walk through the doors of the Colored Girls Museum, you understand that there's an invitation for you to come and sit. So we're really, really excited about that. So it's a busy season. Thank you so much for being here with me. It has been an absolute pleasure as it always is. At Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health, we exist to change lives by unlocking and nurturing human potential for people living with emotional, behavioral, or cognitive differences. We were founded in 1912 by a special education teacher in South Philadelphia. And since then, we've been treating the most vulnerable members of the population in the same way we would treat our own families. To learn more about our evidence-based, trauma-focused care for children, adolescents, and adults, visit Devereaux.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. Presented by Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health. Welcome back to Bridging Philly. I'm Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker, Tyler Riddick. She's a 21-year-old Germantown native, and she's already done some pretty cool things, including opening up this new creative studio hub in the Fishtown area. I'll let her tell you about it. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Philly. You are bridging communities by making the arts more accessible to everyone and giving folks an opportunity to find their creative niche and side hustle. So cool. So tell us, you have a very diverse creative background, right? How did this lead you to starting High Level Studios? So when I was growing up, I was always into music. Like my mom had me in piano lessons, guitar, dance, pretty much everything related to like creativity and arts. It was already instilled in me. So as I was getting older, when I was in the 12th grade, I actually went to a school called the U School where they had a um, photography class And I actually was just like, that was my home right there. So I just 
took off with it. I wasn't going to take photography serious at first. It was just something that I was doing that actually me doing that on the side actually created more opportunities for myself. By the time I was 19 years old, I was everywhere, like at parties, taking pictures. I was planning my own events. I was just doing all of this stuff. And um, another, a rapper in the city, his name's Fatboy Stern. He actually reached out to us and was like, hey, I have a studio. I don't use it anymore. Like, it's just sitting here. Y'all can come in and do whatever y'all want and just, you know, take over, take over the rent. And this is y'all space. This is cool. So that's how we actually started Nothing But High Level Studios offer mixing and mastering for recording artists we have a podcast station so if anyone's interested in doing podcasting we have the available equipment and space for you we do photo shoots um vinyl printing so i make hoodies and stuff so this is actually my clothing line high level drip and we make everything in store like in shop we do small events for like album releases and things like that. So everything is kind of centered around music. And who inspired that entrepreneurial spirit in you? Yeah. I also want to um, shout out Mr. Reed from the youth school. So he was actually one of my teachers. He actually got me started with really, as far as like my business structure and branding myself as IT, the young prodigy, because he has a, a class, like a small business side hustle accelerator where I actually went through his his class and after going through it, I learned a whole lot of stuff like and I learned that I needed a whole lot of holes to be filled. So that was good. Also, like a mentorship opportunity. Wow. It sounds like Mr. Reed is bridging Philly, too. We'll have to have him on the show sometime to talk about that accelerator program. Uh, so, Tyler, it sounds like you have had a nice bit of success and you're still very young. What's that like and how has your community in Germantown responded to that? It's so it's awesome. I actually feel like I'm actually a light kind of and that's what I try to be like. I'm a real big believer in Jesus Christ. So he he has my whole heart. But I kind of like always pray and ask God, can you use me as an example and just like show these young kids that it's more out here than just the streets. Like you can take your creative skills and actually make money and be successful from doing these things. Also in the 12th grade, I lost a friend to gun violence and he wasn't in the streets at all. Like he had nothing to do with it. So he actually, he actually passed by saving the other kids that were outside during the shootout. At the time I was 17 years old and he was 16 and his name is Jock Custis. So that actually impacted me a lot to kind of start being a role model for these younger kids out here. I'm so sorry to hear about Jai. I'm sure he would be proud of you. So it sounds like a lot of responsibility also comes with this success, uh, which is why you're trying to reach back and inspire others the way that people like Mr. Reed inspired you, huh? Yeah, it's kind of, it feels kind of weird because I was, I'm, I'm still like this. Actually, I'm very shy. So I'm, I'm very shy and quiet. So it's like, when people ask me certain things, I kind of freeze up a little bit. And you probably don't see it now, but because I, I prepared myself for this. But um, <laughs> but I'm very, 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 like, very meek. So it was it's really kind of hard doing it and being that, like, out in the open. Because I, I honestly didn't want to do it, but it just kind of happened. So I actually, I'm starting a class, and I want to give a thanks to um, Saudia Schuler from Country Cooking. I 
actually, I did her cookbook too. So um, yeah, my class is called the Vibe Catcher Bootcamp. So, so I'm going to be teaching him how to do photography, how to properly take a picture with the um, DSLR camera, how to work with the green screen, the proper lighting, the editing. And then I have two projects that I'm going to have them do. So it's a four-week course. Because a lot of people ask me, especially in my neighborhood too, like I could just be walking down the street and they'll be like, yo, how do you do such and such with the cameras? And I'm, I wouldn't have time to really talk to them and break it down. So I was just like, I'm going to just start a class and just teach others. And then I also wanted to be like a positive role model for the youth too. So I want them to have a safe place where they can be creative in themselves and not have to worry about anything on the outside. So what is your advice to other young people trying to find their path? Keep Just keep going. Like, don't care about what other people say at all. You just got to stick to it. And if it is really instilled in your heart and if it's really your passion, things are going to fall in line for you automatically. You just got to keep working. Tyler Riddick, photographer, videographer, creator of High Level Studios in Fishtown. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for hashtag Bridging Philly. You can find the full story about Tyler and her new creative studio hub on KYWnewsradio.com. That's it for our Philly Rising Changemaker this week. I'm Antoinette Lee. If you know someone we should highlight next, please reach out. You can reach me at A.R. Lee on air. That's A-R-L-E-E on air. Thank you for joining us on Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me at Raquel on Air. And please subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Sharaday Howard, and our producer, Arian Fulcher, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. 